Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Praise God. Um, <clears throat> just a reminder, um, as we just are, are in this, and hopefully if you took any pictures or videos, we'd love the encouragement as you guys send it to us or tag us on it. Um, you could tag me, Pastor Rigo, or the church. And it really is an encouragement as we see you guys and, and your family having church together. And uh, just a reminder to do that. We'd love to, to see you guys uh, doing that. Um, I want to get into the word today if you're <clears throat> going ahead and and if you have your, your notepad open, your pen out, your, your Bible there, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And if you're sitting next to someone, maybe you could give them a nudge on their shoulder and say, man, I'm there. I'm there. And uh, maybe shake someone up a little bit there in your house and, and tell them that, you know, be ready. We're going to get into the word, encourage them. Um, ask them maybe, hey, do you have ears to hear today? Uh, but, but be encouraged um, with that. So open up to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Amen. Amen. As we get into that, I want to kind of um, introduce this because uh, last week, or not last week, last week we were blessed by a, a powerful word from Pastor Leo. But right before that, the last time I spoke, I shared on peace, be still. And um, the Lord is continuing to deal, deal with me and he's speaking to me in, uh, with this topic and this theme of peace as many people need it and as I humble myself before the Lord as well and say, well, Lord, I too need your peace. Amen? And um, I am sure that you know someone that needs his peace and you know someone that needs to find rest in that peace and and. This is a great opportunity after you hear this message to pray and see who it is that you would want to share this with and say, hey, God's put you in my heart because I thought about our conversation and I thought that the God of peace today wanted to speak to you. So, so just think about that and be in prayer um, for maybe someone else that you could even bless. But I pray that as we speak about this peace uh, and we shared two weeks ago about peace be still, I want to continue on this on this topic of peace, and today's message is titled that, the God of peace. Write that down, the God of peace, the God of peace. I want to jump into really this this whole thought and this word that the Lord gave me. It's it's based off two verses only, and I I, could have just, uh, well, we'll see where we go today, but I could have really just stayed on these two verses and just had a good time with these two verses. But this is, for like two weeks now, just um, verses that the Lord has just been speaking to my heart. And it's, it's that chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 23 and 24. Let's read it, and then um, we'll get into that. It says this, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. The New King James says, Sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Verse 24, love this verse. It says, God will make this happen. He will do it. 
for he who calls you is faithful. Look at those two verses, and we're going to go back, and we're going to read them over and over and over. But Paul says, may the God of peace make you holy. Well, in which way should he make you holy? In which way should he sanctify us? Well, should he make us holy in every way? Should he sanctify us how? In what areas of my life? Well, sanctify us completely. And what does holy or completely or every way look like? Well, it looks like this. Your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body, all of that, all of that be sanctified. All of that be made holy. All of that may it be kept, and what does Paul say next? Blameless until Jesus Christ comes again. And then you're like, man, that sounds like a lot, Paul. That sounds like you're asking for a lot. You're asking for my whole body, for my whole spirit, for my whole soul, for all of me in every way to be holy and sanctified completely. And then verse 24, Paul is giving us a reminder because he knows the complaint or he knows the rebuttal or he knows that we're going to say right after verse 23, is this even possible? Will I be able to even attain this? Will I be able to walk in this truth, live in this truth to really experience? Experience the God of peace in such a fashion that it will transform me into such a holiness like I've never seen before. I don't know, Paul. I don't think that you're going to be able to do this. And what does Paul say in verse 24? It's almost like he says, hey, God will make this happen. He will do it. For he who calls you is faithful. Amen. For he who calls you is faithful. So Paul is writing this letter, as we know, and he is giving his final, or what I would call his farewell greeting of this first letter to this church of Thessalonica. And, and it's such an interesting way to end this letter in chapter 5 of this book. And, I, and, and you read it, and you're like, wow, why is he ending it this way? And, and I want to kind of get in this, into this, because I understand why he's ending this letter this way. And look what he's doing. He's calling out to the name and to the attributes of God. And I understand why he calls out to God's name and attributes in the way that he does. He says what? He says, may the God of what? Blank. May the God of wrath. May the God of justice. May the God of... He could have said a million things. But the word that he uses specifically in this passage right here in this verse is, may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May the God of peace. So this farewell greeting, this, this final goodbye is, is important. And if you read the context before and even the context in the next chapter, you'll recognize what's in the thought and you'll recognize what's in the writing of Paul as he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter which would become the biblical canon, the word of God as we will study it and we read it for ages to come. And why is this so important? Why is these two verses so important in this text? And I think it's awesome because if you read it, you'll recognize that it's sandwiched between interesting writings from Paul. It's, it's sandwiched between the writings of the Lord's coming and of the great persecutions that were to come. 
So if you're writing about the, these two things, right, the Lord's coming and great persecutions that are to come, you know, in reading this, it can quickly move you to worry and to fear. Oh, my God, Jesus is coming. Then there's persecutions. And what do I do? And, and when you read Paul's letter and you read these two verses specifically, the reader can pause for a moment and find freshness of breath. And he can find refreshment. He can find refreshing as we are reminded of who Paul is speaking of. And who is it that Paul is speaking of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? It says, the God of peace. The God of peace. The God of peace. You should write that down. You should write that in bold. You should circle that. The God of peace. The Lord is coming, persecutions to come, but in the middle of that, may the God of peace. Many other things could have been said of the Lord. Many other characteristics and attributes could have been spoken of and mentioned. But Paul writes, may the God of peace make us holy in every way. May he sanctify us completely. When we look into this phrase or when we look into the wordage of this, may the God of peace make you holy in every way. It could also be said this way, and, and listen to this for a moment. Um, this is so interesting. It could be said like this. May the rest and tranquility found in him lead us to this consecration. May the God of peace make you holy. May the rest, may the tranquility that is found in him lead you to consecration, where we are sanctified continuously, where we are purified and separated and holy. It's speaking of the peace of God. Well, what is the peace of God? Well, it's speaking that specifically that of a peace of God that works sanctification in us. I pause and I ask some questions, rhetorical questions, for you to just ask yourself as we get into this passage and as we get into this thought here. And as I say this again, it's speaking of the peace of God that, that works sanctification. And so here are some questions. What are you finding in the God of peace? What is the peace, calmness, tranquility of God working in you? Have you encountered God's peace in the center of all that may be happening? Have you allowed God to do a work in all of this? And I wrote this in my notes in bold. How has this made you different? Or how will you be made different coming out of this? And Paul says something very important. Paul says that it would make us not just different, but that it would make us holy. May the God of peace Make you holy. And you could answer this right now, right there where you're watching. In what way should he make you holy? In every way. Separating our whole being from the nature it once lived for. And he says that our whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Until, the, until Jesus Christ comes again. Our whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until Jesus comes again. I, I, I thought about this as I was um, reading this and studying this. I said, wow, imagine Paul. And imagine Paul writing you this letter, right? It being today and Paul's alive today and he's writing you this letter. And imagine as he's writing this letter with this farewell greeting and he's giving you this encouragement. He says, hey, 
remember, don't think about Thessalonica. It's you. And Paul is writing this letter to us, to you, maybe personally, specifically. And he says, hey, great persecutions are on the horizon. And the great day of the Lord is at hand. But in it all, in this all, may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May the God of peace sanctify you completely. Just think about Paul writing you a letter today and says, Hey, these moments, these days are before us, but may the God of peace keep you and make you holy. And then there comes a time where after Paul writes this letter to you, we're going to personalize this passage for a moment. After he's done writing this letter, he, he comes to visit you and he comes maybe to stay at your house. And as he comes to visit you and to follow up with you, because Paul is the kind of man that's going to hold you accountable to the letter that he wrote to you. So he comes to follow up with you according to the letter that he wrote. And I wrote this down as I was thinking, not just a letter that he wrote from his heart, but wrote a letter from God's heart. It was given to you because it was given to Paul as scripture that was inspired by God. I want us to pause for that because when Thessalonica receives this letter, it's not just a letter from Paul's heart. It's actually a letter from God's heart. Why do we know that? Because all of scripture is inspired by God. And when Paul writes this letter, it is the heart of God to the church. So when Paul comes back to your house after writing you a letter, he sits down, you make him some tea and some coffee, and he looks at you across the table, and he says, hey guys, how are you doing today? And, he, and you start talking to him about your family, about what you're doing at your job and your business and what's happening and whatever it is he pauses and he says what about the letter that I wrote you let's talk about that for a moment how are you doing and recognize that when he asks you that question it's not because Paul has any agenda or because Paul has any dealings with that it's because he's holding you accountable not to his word Paul wrote that letter given to you but he's holding you accountable to God's word and that's what's powerful about scripture we can't just say oh this was a letter to the church no this is God's letter to us so Paul comes to visit and follows up and he says how's the letter that I gave you how's the letter that God gave me in which I gave to you the scripture that was inspired by God and he comes and he asks you this if you forgot the ending of that letter it says now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept what? Blameless. Until Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen. He will do it for he who calls you is faithful. So Paul, visiting you, the next question he asks, he says, oh good, you read it. So here's the question that you have to answer for. You ready? He looks at you right in the eyes and he says, how have you been kept blameless? Let's talk about that. How have you been kept blameless? Think about that for a moment. Uh, well, uh, uh, um, uh, how have you been kept blameless? I started to think about that. I said, if Paul comes to my house, he writes this letter to me, he sits with me, and he asks me, all right, Regal. So now that I wrote that letter and God wrote it and I gave it to you, how have you been kept blameless? How would I react? How would you react? Would you quickly examine your proximity to the Lord? Would you quickly say, oh my God, how am I doing? 
Where am I at with God? Would you, would, you, would you see where you're at with God? Would that be an indicator of, hmm, I got to see where I'm at, my position with the Lord? Or would you easily be angered with Paul? You know, you come to my house. You come to my house. You could have asked me a minute. And all you care about is if I'm blameless. It's almost like I feel like you're after. Would you be angered with Paul? These are just my thoughts with the word of God. Or number three, would you honor the inspired word of God in him? Well, Paul, thank you for asking me that question. This is how I've been kept blameless. Just think about that for a moment. Because you know what's crazy about Paul? He writes letters to these churches, and many times he's going to go visit these churches. And um, he's going to go see, like, how have you grown with that which I've written to you? And how many of you will be like, yeah, he has the right to do that, you know? But doesn't God have the right to open up the word of God before us and say, how have you grown from what I've given? It's the same thing. It's even more important that God does that to us. How have you been kept blameless? Just imagine that. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit, soul, body may be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. I believe that we are there. I've been preaching that we've been in the end time since Acts chapter 2. And we are there and I believe that more interesting days are before us. And if that caused you to panic right now, remember the title of this message, The God of Peace. <laughs> so we read First Thess- Thessalonians 5.23 and we recognize something. It's being rooted in this peace which is not based on circumstance but on a person. I want you to write this down in your notes. Your peace will always fail if found in a circumstance rather than the person of Jesus Christ. Your peace will always fail if it's found in a circumstance rather than the person of Jesus Christ. I know it is to have my peace robbed from me. Nothing has changed necessarily, but I feel like I have peace just robbed from me. And all it is, it is because I took my eyes off the person And I placed it on circumstance. And peace will never be given through circumstances. Peace will always be given and always be encountered, experienced in the person of Jesus. Think about this for a moment. Historians write about Peter walking to his cross. I would think that that is an anxious moment. I would think that that is a fearful moment. I read Hebrews 11. The heroes of the faith, they were sawn in half. They were cut in two. They were burned alive. Uh, They were poked with iron pokers. I mean, Hebrews 11 goes into strict, uh, uh, very deep detail of your brothers and sisters that you will see one day in glory. And what they had to go through because they decided to stand for Jesus through persecution, even if it meant horrific torturings and killings, they still decided to go through it because they would not defy or deny the name of Jesus. Okay, now think about that. How does Peter walk up to his cross? And historians write that as he's walking, he says, what? I will die my Savior's death. 
And he finds so much joy in it. He says, I am not worthy to die like my Savior. He asks to hang upside down. And historians say that he sings a song unto the cross of how unworthy is he to die his Savior's death. And he's filled with peace as he's entering the worst moment of his life, his death. You think about that and you say, how do men and women, how is it that they're able to stand such giants and such circumstances in life? And it's the only reason, the only way that we could answer that is because they found peace, not necessarily in a circumstance. They found peace in the person who is Jesus Christ. And how many of us, me and you, how many of us are struggling with finding peace? Because we're not finding it in the person. We're trying to find it in the other things. So important. It's like the person that tries something different and thinks, oh, if I do this, I'm going to run away from my problems. No, you're not. You could go to the ends of the earth. Your problem will find you right there. It does not matter where you go. It doesn't matter where you pitch your tent. It doesn't matter. Because it's not necessarily the war of your circumstance. It's the war within. And Paul is reminding the church of Thessalonica, the peace that I'm talking about, it's the peace of God. It's found in the person. The God of peace is doing a holy work in us. How many of you could say amen? So that what? Why is the peace of God doing a work in us? So that our spirit, our soul, and our body be blameless before the Lord Jesus Christ. So the answer to Paul's question, remember Paul's question when he sat in front of your dinner table and he says to you, hey, how have you been kept blameless? Remember that question? The answer to Paul's question, how or have you been kept blameless, can only be searched and answered in being found rooted in the God of peace. So let's prove it. Let's talk about it. And let's be transparent today. I think we are a transparent people. Here it is. For those that were unhappy at work and they got a break from work or the people from work, now they find themselves at home and now you're unhappy at home. That happens to a lot of people. Because the issue was not the circumstance of work or the circumstance of home. The issue is in where you have not taken root and that is in the God of peace. So the solution is not in working and being out of the house or being out of work and staying home. The solution is always in the God of peace. The God, my peace, in all circumstances, setting me apart, making my whole being blameless. And here's Paul, and he asked that question, have you been blameless? Here I am, and I ask myself, and I ask you, Have you been blameless? Have you been kept blameless? Why would the word blameless come right after the God of peace? Because it is the peace of God that is doing the sanctification, the holy work in us to cause us to live on this earth as blameless. It's connected. And you might look at the word blameless and think it means, wow, you know, I'll never be without sin. I feel like I'm oh blameless doesn't even if 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 that's if those are the things that your mind automatically went into, blameless does not mean sinless. But that your body, soul, and spirit be kept from a total and final 
falling away. Yes, you might have struggle, and yes, you may have shortcomings, but you remain. You don't fall away. We read, I think, in week one, right, that the righteous fall six times, but they get up. They get up again. You know, they, they continue uh, to rise up. I read this from a commentary, and I quote, that the work of grace be at last completed on the soul and spirit. And the body may be raised in incorruption and glory, and both at the coming of Christ be presented faultless and without blame, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing, first to himself and then to his Father. So what is Paul saying when he says, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. May the God of peace keep you holy in every way. It is May you live in the person of Christ to there where you find peace. And in that peace, he works the process of holiness. And when you come before your beloved, you're presented as faultless and blameless because you're covered and you're dressed in the apparel of the peace that the beloved gives you. And when you are presented, it's raised and in corruption and without wrinkle and without spot. And you're presented to him and the son says, look, Father. Look at my bride, is she not beautiful? So Paul is writing this encouragement to the church because it's, it's an end times writing. It's, it's apocalyptic in a sense, you know. It's the coming of the Lord. It's the tribulations that are to come. It is very trying times. And we could talk even about the days of Nero and the church. And we could talk about the future days to come and the future church or the present church and where we're at in the dynamics of all of this. But whether it's Nero or whether it's a new power that be that's going to bring heavy persecution whatever it is may the god of peace keep you and make you holy in every way well what does this mean uh, to the church of nero's age nero with his threats with his killings and even his persecutions can't rob the god of peace within you because nero could come to bring fear but the peace of god has come to bring holiness so i believe that what's happening is as fear has entered the world god is saying good maybe now that this is a door that can be opened where the god of peace can now enter your world and then we learn that it's not on the circumstances of this world or what my bank account says or what happens to my retirement plan the answer is am i rooted in the person of jesus christ the god of my peace that's a beautiful thing there's a peace a peace that separates the believer a peace that leads us into holiness in every way amen he doesn't just let it sit there he goes to say in the next verse verse 24 <clears throat> he just doesn't talk about this peace and let it take over your whole body and your spirit and your soul. In the next verse, 24, he says, God will make it happen. He will do it. You should write that in your notes. He will do it. If you've heard everything I said for these last few minutes, say, whoa, this sounds like a lot. Well, Paul says next, he will do it for he who calls you is faithful. He's a faithful God. He will do it. God will make it happen. The one who calls you is faithful. I want to pause here and I want to kind of continue on this, but let's talk about something. In 2 Timothy, 
Paul is writing to an apprentice, to a spiritual son, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, in chapters 2 and in chapter 4, both chapters 2 and 4, Paul describes our lives, the believer's life. Do you know how he describes it? Anyone here know how Paul describes it? He doesn't just describe it like, oh my gosh, it's like a, it's like a, it's like, man, you know, you're just glorious, you know, you're just running down the field of roses, everything is just perfect always. When Paul writes to Timothy, he describes the believer's life as, in chapters 2 and 4, you could go back and study it, as a fighter, as an athlete, as a soldier, and as a farmer. Does anything come easy to a fighter? Does anything come easy to a soldier? Does anything come easy to a farmer? Does anything come easy to an athlete? Each one of those has a responsibility. Each one of those has a discipline in their lives. Each one of those has to set their mind to it. That's a powerful thing. And Paul writes to Timothy. And he, and he writes, hey, believers are these things. Our fighters, our athletes, our soldiers, and our farmers. And he's going to do it. He's going to complete it. He's going to finish what he started. So I wrote some of these things down. Ready? He will bring war or he'll allow war. Sometimes he doesn't cause it, but he allows it. Sometimes he may cause it. And he will bring war towards you to teach you to have peace in you. You should write that. The Lord brings war towards me to teach me to have peace in me. He will enlist you in a race, teaching you endurance. Though life will bring numerous hurdles and obstacles that we learn to finish the race. Then he'll place you in a ring as a fighter to teach perseverance. And that this, a, this may be a potential fight to what? Until everything gets better? No. A potential fight to the end. Paul says at the end of his life, well, I have fought. How did he call his fight? I fought the good fight. The beautiful thing about Paul is he calls it a good fight. Was the fight worth... What was Paul saying? The fight was worth fighting. He didn't say, I have fought this horrible fight. Hey, the Christian that is dying on his deathbed and tells you this with his last breath, I have fought the bad fight, the horrible fight. They walked wrong. They lived wrong. They weren't encountering Christ in the fight. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. The fight was well worth it. Think about Paul's fights, being stoned to death and then resurrects to go to the next city to preach. Think about the fight that was Paul's constantly being persecuted. And at the end of his life, everything that was said and done to Paul, Paul says, oh, I have fought the good fight. <clears throat> so he might bring war to teach peace in you, enlist you in a race to learn how to finish it. He may place you in a ring as a fighter to teach that this is a fight to the death, though it's a good fight. Or he'll place you in a field to farm. Why, why is that? Because he'll, he'll teach you this, ready, as a farmer, because I'm not necessarily a farmer, obviously. Maybe in the spiritual sense, we could say we're farmers. But check this out. In a field to farm, you'll recognize that, uh, man, you put so much hard work sometimes, but it's not your decision of when God says, watch the growth. I will say when the growth comes. I will say, here's the harvest time. So the farm mean teaches us patience, teaches us trust, teaches us hard work in the trust and in the patience. All of these beautiful things that we could just really derail and preach on every single one of those things. But let's get back into what we're talking about here. Verse 23 and 24, Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace make you holy. You should know the answer already. 
Where should he make you holy? In every way. If you're reading from the New King James ESV, may he sanctify you. How? Completely sanctifying you. Well, what does that mean? Your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body is what it's talking about. May all those things, all of your being be kept blameless until Christ comes. And he's going to make it happen. He's going to do it. For he who calls you is faithful. You should write that in your notes. He will do it. He'll do it in you. Amen? First, uh, um, Philippians uh, chapter 1 verse 6 teaches us this. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, this is so important. Um, I'm going I'm to come down the, the hill here of my message and soon come to the ending. But before we read this verse, I want us to understand that we're about to read this verse in John chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, I want us to understand that Jesus is moments away from his arrest, from his torture, and eventually his crucifixion. Okay, think about this for a moment. I know that you could think about the passion, and yet the passion doesn't, paints the closest of pictures of what that could even look like. But think about Jesus' arrest, torture, and death on the cross. And moments before he encounters that, Here's one of the statements that Jesus says, and I'm going to read John 14, 27. Jesus says this, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. So he's leaving. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, circumstances, world. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled Neither let it be afraid. Jesus is moments away from his arrest and torture. And what does he say? I'm leaving you peace. Here's the peace I give you. It's not a peace that the world gives. It's totally different. And don't be troubled and don't fear. So in the last hour of his life, Jesus is helping us to not be anxious in our life. It's, it's the best of Jesus, man. I mean, it's what Jesus does. It's what Jesus is. It's the heart of the Father. Hey, I'm going now. I'm going to die now. And before I die, I'm going to be put to shame. And I'm going to be slaughtered and be tortured. But in my last hour, I want to help you and teach you. Don't be anxious. Don't fear. It's a reminder. And it's a reminder in him telling us, I am doing a good work. Don't ever forget that I'm doing a work. I'm completing a work in all of you. I will finish the work in which I started. I will finish it. My hand is in your life. How many of you could say amen? And then he says what? Let not your heart be troubled. The peace that he has in mind. What, 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 what is it? What is this that's not like the world, but it's a, it's a different kind of peace. It could, be, it could be, think about what it can be or what he's going against. In his mind, was he talking about global peace? You know, was this whole situation that we are in, it's a global situation. Is it a national, a political, or a personal 
peace. I don't think that when Jesus is speaking, it's, it's necessarily any of these things. These aren't the things that are in the front of his mind. And I could say this because what he says next, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, and it's not of this world or as the world gives, so let not your hearts be troubled. It is something direct and intimate from me into you. That's what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a personal thing that I'm doing. Uh, Piper goes into this study, and he says something like this, that Jesus on his mind is saying, you look troubled. Your faces look troubled. I love you. I don't like it when you look that way. I don't want to leave you that way. It's that simple. It's that precious. It's that personal. He says, it's, it's the heart. Let not your heart be troubled. Not, not necessarily your globe or your nation. Don't let your globe, don't let your nation be troubled. But, but don't let, what is, what is Jesus pointing at when he says that at the end of his life? If I'm coming to bring peace, I'm not coming to bring peace to this world. I'm coming to bring peace into your world, into your heart. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Let, neither, neither lead, let it be afraid. I, I want you to be fearless. Remember when he tells Peter, hey, uh, be a rock. He changes his name and he calls him to be a rock. A rock. And that's his ministry to go forward. You're, you're a rock as you go forward. And on this rock, on me, Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to place this stuff over you guys. It's on me. And, and, and Peter, go now with this message. And what is he doing to Peter? Man, don't be troubled. Peter's end is not necessarily promising when it comes to the world standards. But when it comes to heavens, Peter wins. Peace I leave with you, Peter. Peace I leave with every single one of you. Come on. How have you been kept blameless? How has the peace worked in you? Peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. The world gives all kinds of peace. Earlier I was talking about financial, my, your financial accounts and your bank accounts, your retirement plans. That, those are different peace that the world may give. The world gives health insurance, gives peace with all these different things, with shelters and all, all, all stuff, like soon maybe a vaccine will come out and they'll say, hey, here it is. And people will, oh, finally, they'll feel like their peace will be found in a vaccine. All those different things that we could talk about. The world gives peace with us. If there's something going on, what do we, who do we call? Oh, my God, there's a, there's a fighting, there's a prop. We call the police. And the world can give peace by a police. And all these different ways that we could think about. I mean, I, I think about all of that. And, and we're, we're grateful and we're happy that they all exist. But, but Jesus' words are so specific. He says, I'm not giving you a peace that way. That's not what I'm doing. I'm doing it a whole different way. I'm not giving you the kind of peace that can be taken away. I'm giving you a peace that remains forever. A kind of peace that no matter what, it's never going to be taken away. That when the police go away, the peace stands. How can we know that he means something deeper? How can we know that he means that the world's peace and, and, and having our mind on that, it's based off circumstances. We talk about health. We talk about, man, how does it look like? What am I going to do with my life, with my children? I got to make sure that my children have enough for when they get older. Think about all these things that we think about right now every, with everything that's going on, what we might be thinking about. But how about when the locks get unlocked and the door gets open wide, the police leave, health insurance, it's not about any of that retirement accounts, everything is wiped. How about, how about if the Lord is teaching us something about the mind, something about the depth of the heart and says, I'm not giving 
anything that the world could cause you to settle on. Not as the world gives you, I give to you. I'm giving you peace that when everything may be and can be taken away from you, that you still got it inside of you. Oh, Lord. This is where his mind is at. I know this because in John 16, 33, he says the same thing, but he makes it more direct. You should write this down in your notes. John 16, 33, Jesus says yet again, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I want you right there where you're at just to close your eyes for a moment. We're not going to end right now specifically, but just close your eyes for a moment. I want you to picture right there the face of Jesus right before you. The voice of God right there in your ears. And I want you to hear these words. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In me, you'll have peace. Listen, as you open your eyes and look at me again, the peace that Jesus gives is not based on circumstances. It is peace in bad circumstances. It's peace in tribulation. It's peace in no health insurance. It's peace in global breakdown, health breakdown, societal breakdown. In all of these things, it's peace in all of that. It is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. It is the peace that passes all what human comprehension. Why does Paul call it this in Philippians chapter 4? What does Paul mean? That human beings can't understand it. Human beings can't grasp it. They can't make it happen. Only God can do this. Do what? Give you a peace that passes the mind of man and gives you the mind of God. The heart of heaven inside of you. He will do it. He is able. The one who is faithful. The one who calls you is faithful and is able to do it. I'm going to read it again to you. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, sanctifying you completely every way. May your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. So I repeat, your peace will never fail if it's on the person of Jesus. But your peace will soon, and you will find that it will always fall short and fail if it's found in circumstances. So I end with this. It's a passage in the book of Psalm. It's a psalm that is written 
and it's written during a time of distress. And I want us, as we read it and as we end, I want us to notice how the Lord deals with sin. How the Lord deals with the time of when this is written in. But what I really want you to focus on is don't lose sight on how the Lord is dealing with the godly. Listen how God deals with the godly. I'm going to read from Psalm chapter 4. And it says in verse 1, as the psalmist writes this, in a time of distress. Notice how he deals with the godly. The psalmist says, Hear me when I call, O God. O God of my righteousness. You have received me in my distress. Come on. How many of you right now listening to this message, just that verse is speaking of you. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Salah. Pause. Rest. And think about this. Verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Salah. Verse 5. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord who will show us any good. Who will show us? It's a question. Who will show us any good? Who? Show me. Show me who will show us who is good. So the psalmist says, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Why? Why would he say this? Because it's only you. You alone are good. You have put gladness in my heart. Look how he deals with the godly. You have put gladness in my heart. More than in the season. More than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. It's a powerful passage. That in the middle of distress, I mean, the psalmist David, if you know this time of his life, is really going through it with his son, Absalom. I can't think as a father anything worse than being at war with your very own son. 
So when he's writing this, he's writing this from a very stressful, anxious, painful place. He's hearing word that his own son wants to kill him. Can you imagine that the junk hits the fan that much that your very own child wants to kill you? How bad did home get? But at the end here, there's a promise in those who come to the Lord. Lord, my circumstances are not peaceful at all. My circumstances are the opposite of whatever peace is. But Lord, as I end this psalm, in the midst of my distress, all I could say is lift up the light of your face over us. Put gladness in our hearts so that I will both lie down in peace and not only will I lay down in peace, but that I will sleep. You see, you have to understand as a king, you have to sleep with one eye open, especially when you hear that they want to take your head and especially when it's your son. But he says, in you, I lie down in peace and I sleep. So I put my soul in your hand because I'm, I'm going to allow myself to sleep. My soul is in your control. Wow. For you alone, oh Lord, will make me dwell in safety. It's not my, you know David had mighty men that broke Philistine, uh, uh, Philistine camps and lines to bring water to him because he was thirsty. And after these mighty men brought him water, he says, I can't drink this. You risked your life for me. And he throws it on the floor. I would have gotten so mad. How dare you throw that water on the floor? We, almost, we risked our lives for you. David had mighty men that we could read about in the scripture that did mighty things for him. But notice that his rest doesn't lie in his mighty men. His rest does not lie in his army. His rest does not lie on his throne, on his kingdom. His rest is in this. His peace is in this. It's in the God of peace. For he says, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You are the God of peace. How many of you are hearing from the Lord today? Your peace will always fail if it's found in a circumstance. Rather than it being found in Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I want you to close your eyes right there. I want you to just um, spend a moment right there with the Lord. Come on, let his, let his hand touch you. Let his heart come upon you. Come on. Right there where you're at. May the God of peace 
May the God of peace make me holy. Come on, begin to pray that. May the God of peace make me holy. May the God of peace sanctify me completely. May the God of peace be do, the, do the work in me, in my soul, in my spirit, in my body. May he keep me blameless. May the God of peace keep me blameless. Until I am presented before you. Take my eyes off this world, off the circumstances of this world. Put my eyes on the God of peace, where there I will find calmness and tranquility and the rest that I need. That it would always be found in the person of Christ and in the circumstances of this world. Peace I leave, peace I give to you, not as the world gives. You will have tribulations, but don't let your heart be troubled. For I have overcome the world. Come on, speaking to your heart today is the God of peace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for those who are lifting up their hearts to you right now. And maybe there's someone that's watching that's so heavy. That they struggle to just fall at your feet. I pray right now that you would that you would soften, that you would pour your oil over them, that your grace would comfort them, and that they would fall at the feet of Jesus, and that they would find a peace that surpasses all understanding, all human comprehension. A peace that is from your throne. Consume every single one of us with your peace. Let there be calmness. Let there be tranquility. May it be the God of peace that is making us making us holy Lord I thank you for everyone that's watching I pray that you would touch their hearts I pray that you remove fear from our lives I pray that very soon we'd come back together and that we'd be together that you would give us understanding during this age during this time that we would recognize the days that we're living in and that we would know and understand that the church, that the sons and daughters, your bride, your beloved, would rise up to its beauty. For this is the moment that this would be the great awakening. An awakening that rips through the land. Where we get out of our homes we hide but we don't use the mask as a physical sign to testify of something deeper that we're hiding behind fear but that we would come out and that we'd be the voice of God to this land 
that a great awakening would happen. Awakening would happen in our homes, in our churches, in our families. And that in this last harvest that many would come to know you. And that in the midst of whatever else may come, that there would be a mighty move of peace as an awakening takes place on this land. Lord, we love you, Lord, and we thank you for you are the God of peace. And thank you for keeping us on this day. Thank you for all the families, all the people that are watching. I pray that you would just strengthen. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we give this day to you. Be glorified in the rest of our week. Let us have an awesome week. A week of testimony. A week of vision. A week of health. A week that we will do great things. But Lord, away from the circumstances, a week in you. A peace rooted in you. And we'd have testimony of that. Lord, we love you today. We thank you and we honor you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And all of us together, we say yes, yes, and amen. Hallelujah. Lord, you are good.